0: Queen, if that's your fan baby. I can even do
1: reality.
0: Welcome to what she said on 1059 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. We are quickly coming up on the two-year mark in this pandemic, and the question on everyone's mind is, will it ever end? And while I certainly don't have a crystal ball on when COVID will be nothing but a distant memory, I can tell you that women are forging new paths forward in spite of the difficulties on everything from how we work, to how we show up in our lives, to how we laugh, and how we support each other. Today's show highlights all of it, starting with Commissioner Katie Ward from Ontario's Pay Equity Office. Over the next three months, Katie will be joining me to share information women need in today's workplace on everything from ensuring equitable pay to developing new skills. Today, we kick things off by taking a closer look at a woman's worth. Claire Kumar is a bright, happy light in a very cold world, both literally and figuratively right now. Claire joins me to share some information on beating burnout for good by conducting productivity CPR on every aspect of our lives, so we can show up with intention both personally and professionally. Anne Brody delivers in a big way this week, with so much stellar entertainment we couldn't fit it all in. You will definitely want to stick around, though, to hear about Scarborough, a film Anne believes is going to sweep award seasons, plus Pam and Tommy on Disney+, Plus, which is a combination we can barely have our heads around, plus Kirsten Bell's latest on Netflix, and a four-part series on Bill Cosby. Sarah McVee plays the hilarious Val Selinsky in the CBC Netflix hit comedy series Working Moms. A fan favourite, Sarah joins me to share a bit on the success of Working Moms and on a more personal note her struggles with endometriosis and why we need more research into this painful condition. Jerisha Grant Hall is an innovative and strategic thinker who is committed to moving her community forward through collaboration and conversation. Founder of the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, also known as NACA, Jerisha joins me to share why she started her nonprofit and how she's moving the needle. Finally, supply chain issues are on everyone's mind, including Sheena Russell, founder and CEO of Made with Local, a Halifax based company with a mission to inspire mindfulness and conscious consumption. Despite using only Canadian ingredients, Sheena is quickly adapting her B Corp business to deal with short supplies on everything from packaging to ingredients. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. (laughs) With a mission to close the gender wage gap in Ontario, the Pay Equity Office works to make the world a more equitable place for women to work, live, and thrive. Over the next three months, the Pay Equity Office and what she said will be sharing information that women across Canada can use to advance their career and level the paying field for everyone. I'm joined now by Commissioner Katie Ward to discuss a woman's worth today. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you back.
2: It is so great to be back and to have a, a a lot more time to have conversation over the next few months to share with your audience and with you um, just what we know about women's worth.
0: yeah, it's been a tumultuous couple of years, particularly for women in the labor force, and I think the more we can do uh, to to give this information out to to women, the better off we will all be men, women, and children. Uh, so let's start with the top then so um You say women and men have historically been clustered in certain occupations. Can you expand on that for me a little bit? Yeah. You know, when we talk about women's worth more broadly,
2: um, a lot of the conversation centers around pay and pay equity and the type of work women do and how that work is valued. So, you know, historically, men and women have been clustered in different jobs and or certain occupations, however you want to say it. And these occupations are valued and compensated differently by society and by employers. You know, this is historic. Um, I don't think it's natural. It's based on misinformation, stereotypes. But it's a clustering that actually persists in Ontario and across Canada today. I can share some stats if you're interested on, you know, what that clustering looks like. Absolutely. Sure. So it's probably not a surprise. Uh, A lot of women are dominant and clustered in areas such as healthcare, uh, nursing, you know, 91% are female, healthcare overall about 78%. In education, it's about 68%. Um, and community services is also dominated by women at 80%. This is all statistics from um, Statistics Canada website. But, you know, the the challenge is right now that we're, we're facing, because you also said it's been very hard the past few years, women are also clustered in accommodation and food services, which means, um, you know, they've been hardest hit by the pandemic. They're clustered in the sectors that had to overreach and overwork And then also cluster to the sectors that uh, experience mass layoffs and and resignations. So we're sitting at a point now to figure out how do we stop this clustering of women in certain jobs? Where did it originate and how do
0: we move it beyond? Yeah, you know, I think of certain sectors like, you know, for example, the trades, things like that, where, you know, predominantly male dominated, but there's no reason a woman couldn't be in those fields as well. So, is it, are these the kinds of things you're trying to to highlight for women as they look at different and new career paths? Perhaps. I'm glad you brought up skilled trades because that is a really
2: great example of the clustering of men and women. There's no natural reason why um, women don't have the skill sets to to be able to do the type of work that you know. There's 120 plus different skilled trades. Certainly, there's jobs there women can do, but you know historically. Um, when women started entering the labor market, it was more or less prescribed to them the types of jobs they could do. Um, and it was primarily unmarried women entering the labor market. We're talking, you know, the turn of the century. I'll just go back to, you know, mass industrialization, and urbanization, where unmarried women were welcomed into the workforce, but married women were not because they believed that married women's work was at home, which is unpaid, primarily unpaid labor. Um, so, the labor market to women was closed and prescribed. And so this really sets that direction where, you know, if a woman wanted to be a machinist or was very good with hands, wanted to build or do fine carpentry, there was no room in those sectors for women. They were primarily um, kept out of that. And those jobs were given to men because men were seen, rightly or wrongly, as breadwinners. And I think even, you know, at the turn of the century, there was probably single moms, uh, probably endemic Back then, as it is now, where, you know, women were left offended for the family. But part of the argument of not allowing women to enter those fields is that it wasn't safe for women. Women had other um, responsibilities like caretaking. So that's those are still the, the stereotypes and the barriers we're breaking down. And skilled trades is one of those sectors where the Canadian government, provincial governments are investing money to educate women on broader career opportunities. You know, it's the beginning of a new year. We start to think about reinventing ourselves and challenging women to think outside of roles that tend to be socially um, or through culture or religion prescribed to women. So
0: given that, you know, we've really just been through probably one of the hardest times ever in human history, uh, particularly for women, when we talk about the clustering and how has it affected those different markets, how are you looking forward uh, planning to help women through and, and navigate you know what what lies ahead yeah thank you for
2: that question our office really focuses on educating women um, and employers on economic justice for women so pay equity is you know' it's, it's a legislative act here but it's also just makes sense from a business point of view and educating women on their rights to to pay equity in the workplace. We launched a series we've talked about it before level the paying field level the paying where we've interviewed and, and spoke with a lot of policymakers and educators on just what that what that means, um, you know, I can share with you information, Candice, for you in your in your podcast notes uh, with links to resources where women can really learn about what are the resources out there that the government is investing in. You know, the federal government um, in their budget, they mentioned women no less than 665 times in their budget, which is like landmark. Um, that's an incredible gain for women. Women are now on the, the upside, the silver lining of, of the past two years has been women well, we are now on policymakers' minds. And in Ontario alone, you know, there were two task force, um, the Workforce Recovery Task Force and the um, a task force focused on women and the economy that really just wanted to understand how can we make labor and economy better for women? So there's resources I'll share with you so you can direct your audience to that. Um but that's really what we are focused on is educating women educating employers small businesses on their responsibilities and then for women on their their rights to economic justice
0: i think you know you you nailed something here in this interview because one of the most frustrating parts of this journey for everybody has been the ability to find the resources we need to make decisions because it's sort of everywhere. And if you're, unless you know where to look, it's really difficult to find. So I am assuming that you have all of these listed on your websites, uh, on the website, and that people can can go to it at any time to find what they need. We do, payequity.on.ca, um, dot dot you, can, you can visit
2: our website. Um, I'll send you this to include in the show notes, as I said. But, you know, I would encourage, because I know you're you're syndicated across the country, the the women listening, Visit the Ministry of Labour website in their respective province. Every province has some kind of Ministry of Labour or ministry that deals with labour issues. To visit those those websites and to, you know, just hunt through to find resources for um, second careers are very popular, skills retraining. These are all good keywords you can use. Um, You know, we have a skilled trade shortage across the country. So there is tons of funding focused on getting women into skilled trades. A lot of the that um, those programs are delivered by intermediaries like the um, YWCA or other groups that are focused just on women in business. So, you know, for your listeners to to do a little bit of research on who are the major you know organizations in your community that deliver services—is it the YWCA? Is it uh, United Way Women if you have one in your community or in your province? Um, to to, to do a little bit of research, who's getting the funding and, and follow the trail. Um, and you can start, you know, another great place to start is looking at your Ministry of Labour um, press releases, because they're always announcing they're very proud to get media coverage of their, uh, of their funding and opportunities. So you can find a lot by just perusing media releases and figure out what, where money is going, what organizations have got it, and where you can dig in to learn more about the programs.
0: OK, so, I mean, I realize, obviously, that, you know, we have laws in place, but that doesn't mean that everybody's complying. So I just want to ask you, <laughs> uh, you know, if if women have a complaint, if they have a legitimate concern about their employer, do they come to you for assistance with that?
2: Well, Ontario and I'll, I'll talk to Ontario. But again, every province would have some kind of employment standard act because um, employment and and labor legislation is primarily governed provincially. So each province is going to treat everything a little bit differently. So in Ontario, go to the Ministry of Labor. The Employment Standards Act is uh, quite in depth. Our office deals directly with pay inequity. So if a woman or man feels that they are not getting equal pay for work of equal value, so they're delivering, you know, the same value to the company, but their work is being undervalued and paid less, potentially just because they're a woman or they're racialized or any kind of
0: intersectionality there they can come to us and we can investigate on their behalf. Okay, that's good Good information to have. Uh, I want people to be able to find out more and obviously connect with you. And I'm thrilled you're going to be back next month as we dive in deeper to this. But for now, uh, can you please share a website and social channels for anybody listening? Yeah,
2: payequity.on.ca. And you can also please visit levelthepayingfield.ca, a great resource, a six podcasts, six episodes that really will educate women and get them started on this, you know, this journey to economic equity.
3: All right,
0: Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.
3: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I get the urge for going, but I never seem to go.
0: I get the urge for going. My next guest helps professionals achieve sustainable performance, improving productivity and well-being while avoiding exhaustion and burnout. With that said, I can't imagine there is a single listener out there right now who doesn't need this. Claire Kumar loves inspiring massive shifts by inviting you to pay attention to little things that make a big difference, and joins me today with some tips for all of us to avoid burnout. Welcome to the show, Claire. Oh, thanks so much, Candace. One of the things you say is that women shouldn't feel bad about being disorganized, or unproductive. Can you expand on that a little bit for me?
4: Yeah, I think a lot of times we carry a bunch of shame, which leads to internal conversations, which just kind of brings our energy down. And the fact is, very few of us have ever been taught how to be organized and to be productive. We may have had really good role models. We may have had a teacher who had a really good classroom, and we may have been in systems that really worked. But we were never really taught. Here's how a good way to plan your time. Here's a good way to think about dissecting a project. Here's a good way to think about managing your energy. And so the shame can kind of get in the way. And the other thing is, women carry an incredible emotional labor load. A a friend of mine, Dr. Regina Lark, has written a book on this called "The Emotional Labor: Why Women's Work Is Never Done and What to Do About It." And so we carry a big load, and also the societal expectation that we just know how to do all this.
0: It's interesting, you know, and then I think about my own experience and I think I, what I tend to do is when I feel unproductive or unorganized is I tend to beat myself up. So I will spend hours beating myself up for not doing something properly when I could be spending those hours, you know, learning how to be more organized or productive. So it becomes this vicious cycle.
4: Yeah, I often talk about making sure we're spiraling up instead of spiraling down. And it's those conversations which can be loud and nasty with ourselves instead of being full of love and self-compassion and being in that place of noticing. So when an emotion comes up, oh, that's a cue that I need to pay attention to something. So how do I stay in this place of great self-love and say, thank you, oh, anger for showing up because what do I need to dig into here? And how do I want to show up? And so we can hug our amygdala in our brain and say, calm down. Thank you for noticing because that's what keeps us alive when there is danger. So we don't want to sacrifice that, but we want to quickly re-engage that prefrontal cortex, our executive function, our good decision-making. And we also want to get in touch with our gut. So it's the whole body um, that we want to involve, the brain, the heart, the gut, and making good decisions as we go forward. But that amygdala can really ruin us and take us on a really
0: self-deprecating kind of negative down journey. So you have a model for sustainable performance. And, you know, in this pandemic, uh, you know, that it's been hard to motivate ourselves to find to, to perform Can you explain the model so people have an understanding of what it is?
4: Yeah, sure. I call it productivity, CPR. And by CPR, we know that's an intervention for a crisis in normal normal terms, right? But I've made my own definition for C, P, and R. And they represent thinking about intention. So the C is compass. That's all around intention. The P is for performance. And that is all about managing our attention, which is seriously under threat. And R, that's for rituals that are tied to optimizing our execution. That's really all the productivity. How do we actually get things done in an efficient, enjoyable, and an effective way? And we need really all three to be at play so that we feel compelled to do those things, which we think we should do, but we
0: can actually be honored to engage in. Now, you also talk about um, a, a productivity table stakes. So can we talk about that?
4: Yeah, so this is in the P, in the CPR, this is in the performance piece. And when it comes to managing attention, what I think is so important is to understand how we need to take care of our body, our mind, and our spaces so that we are able to bring our attention to those intentions, those things that we, we know we want to accomplish in our life. And there are eight different elements there. And I think understanding our relationship to those eight different key elements, which I call productivity table stakes, because you have to know your relationship to these things so you can play your best hand. That's the poker table analogy, even though I don't play poker. (laughs) But, But you need to know, for example, your relationship to mindset. And, you know, I talked just briefly about we can spiral down or spiral up. Checking in with mindset, for example, is one of the most powerful things you can do. And that's why it's at the top of my productivity table stakes list.
0: Okay. Well, today, this is a very brief conversation for radio. And we've recorded a longer podcast for people to go listen to. I get more information. But for now, uh, where can people uh, connect with you and find out more about you? Oh,
4: thank you. It's Claire Kumar. Dot .com Claire I joke no third eye so that's C L A R E kumar is in Harold and Kumar so clairekumar.com and then there's all kinds of resources and information and you can connect with me directly there.
0: All right wonderful thank you so much for joining me today
4: Claire great pleasure thanks
3: Candace. The
0: Brody is joining me now for entertainment. And I just want to tell everybody before we even get into it, this week is loaded. And so you need to go to whatshesaidtalk.com uh, after this interview to get the full list of what's coming up. Because wow, what a week, weekend.
5: Oh, my word. My eyes are turning square. There's been so much viewing <laughs> and good stuff and controversial stuff. So I wanted to start with Scarborough, which is a Canadian film set in Scarborough, which is sort of well known for having a certain reputation um, from Shaska, Nakai, Rich Williamson, and Catherine Hernandez. So, what it does is it explores this uh, very diverse community via a a school breakfast program and and literacy program. And this wonderful teacher who's trying to care for these kids who have such a range of of, uh, problems, including food insecurity, uh, family insecurity, homelessness, all those things. And it breaks her heart, and she does her very best. And she's actually told by her boss, by her principal, not to care so much. It's so beautifully made and so empathetic and real. It's, It's authentic. You're out in the streets. You're passing people and talking to them. It seems as though they're just there. I suppose it's it's not done that way but it feels so authentic and it's going to be a big award winner. Okay. Listen, uh, there's two that
0: uh, two actually there's like three more I really want to talk about. I don't even know where to begin, but let's start with Pam and Tommy because this one really interested me.
5: Do you believe it Disney Plus is running it? I I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Like it's, it's so weird. Yeah. It's a story of Pamela Anderson, the Canadian supermodel and multi-time married uh, actor and uh, Tommy Lee, the drummer from the Motley Crew, And they're very tempestuous time together. Well, very rough situation. Seth, Seth Rogen, believe it or not, plays his carpenter, Tommy's carpenter. He's trying to build a sex room for him, basically. And this is all based on fact. And um, but Tommy refuses to pay and refuses to pay. And he seems kind of drugged up most of the time uh, when he's not up in bed with Pamela. So in response to being asked for pay, he pulls out guns. So Seth's character rifles around his storage room, trying to find something of value to pay him for the $8,000 he's owed so far. What he finds is a sex tape. And we all know about that sex tape. It was posted online back in the wild west of the internet, no regulation, uh, and it was posted anonymously. And it became a money maker for um, for Seth's character and a porn uh, film producer played by Nick Offerman, who's <laughs> hilarious. And then, of course, it becomes something that is readily available to people. And uh, and apparently, it seems to have nearly destroyed pamela anderson and she it's still hurtful to her uh so it's about their lifestyle in many ways just mind-bending and you've got to watch out they appear in the nude a lot lily uh lily james and uh sebastian stan as pam and tommy incredible prosthetics that's all your your jaw's (laughs) gonna be on the floor So, I mean, it's pretty tacky, but it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs>
0: okay, we got a lot to get to. Let's move on because I want to talk about Cosby and then Kirsten Bell's latest.
5: Yes. Uh, okay. We need to talk about Cosby on Showtime from Cam- W. Canlou Bell. It's a, an investigation, a four-part documentary investigation into Bill Cosby's behaviors. Uh, the fact that he was the Black community's North Star in that he was very successful and influential uh, and could open doors for, for Black creators and, and, and filmmakers. So he was outed. It was an open secret that he was a predator, but a comedian outed him during a routine in 2016. And at that point, the Canadian girl came forward and sued Cosby for sexual assault. Then came forward dozens and dozens of women who were eventually on the cover of a magazine together with an empty seat for all the women who didn't come forward, but were victimized. So as you know, Cosby was uh, found guilty and imprisoned and then released like that. They threw the case out. And that is probably because of his money and his donations and his, his influence. So that is pretty fascinating. Um, so yeah, so that's a very good one to watch. It's not uh, fun, but <laughs> important. Let Let's talk about Kirsten Bell then,
0: because I adore her, adore her, and she is it seems like everything she touches turns to gold. I just rewatched The Good Place the other night, and i I just loved it. So tell me about the, her latest.
5: Well, it's funny. She's she's really good. It's called Get This: The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window on Netflix. So she plays a woman who's estranged for her husband. He has somebody else. She drinks all day long. She's got an, an impressive uh, wine court collection in the kitchen. And uh, a handsome guy moves in across the street. And She spends all her time watching him. So she, she sees a murder in his house, or she thinks she does. And it goes from there. She is so deranged. It's not funny. She reminds me of Alex Forrest, um, Glenn Close's character in Fatal Attraction. She's right off the rails. And I'm thinking, this can't be. And then more and more, it's revealed that it is satire. And she is pretty much winking at the camera saying, look, I'm taking this genre on, this woman in peril genre on, and this is where I'm going with it. It's just sensational. It's so funny. Oh, God, it's good. She is amazing. And one thing that she does, it's take her daughter to work day, and she takes her daughter into her husband's job, which is forensic science. And the little girl is in a locked room with serial killer massacre, Mike, for like a couple hours. (laughs) It's wild. Quite the week, Candace, as you said. All right. Well, you've got more, even uh, obviously, on
0: talk dot com. So, Anne, thanks so much uh, for watching and weeding through all of this for us. Much appreciated, as always. We'll see you next week. You're most
5: welcome, Candace.
3: Have a story for what she said? Email us at one oh five nine the region.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on one oh five nine the region.
0: guest is best known for her role as quirky Mommy and Me leader Val Selinsky in the CBC Netflix hit comedy Workin' Moms. Sarah McVie started acting at a young age and played many of the male roles in school productions, mostly because her voice was considerably lower, lower than any of the boys in her class. Santa Claus was a particular highlight, and her parents encouraged her to bring the costume home for the holidays and visit their neighbours in character. Thus began her journey into character acting, improvisation, and belly laughs. Sarah clearly gets through life with humor and joins me today to share a little about the upcoming season on Working Moms and her mission to bring more awareness to women who suffer with endometriosis. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me, Candace. (laughs) So, the response to Working Moms has been crazy. This is a wildly, wildly popular show. Were you surprised by the success of it?
1: Well, I was surprised that I was a part of it. I can't believe my good fortune to be a part of a show. I remember the world has changed so much in six years, but we're in our sixth season. And I remember when it first was coming out, I thought, how nice to have a show finally about moms. Like there just wasn't anything like that, you know, and I'm so close to my own mother and my sister's a mother of three. Um, and I had long wanted to be a mother myself. I just thought, yes, mommy culture. Let's do this. And what a, a you know, what a just a gold mine for comedy, really. You know, I, I, I am I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised that it's doing so well. I think it was much needed. You know, came at a time when people were ready for it. Absolutely. And and so coming up on this
0: season, what can people expect? With your character in particular, Val.
1: Oh boy! If people if people are following and they're getting to know um, Val, our pal Val, uh, she is up to some pretty pretty big shenanigans. Like it, it, you think, okay, how wild can it get? And uh, somehow the writers managed to go even wilder. You know, I think one of the mo- my favorite episodes of the whole series, for me personally so far, is the girls' trip episode in season three. People mention it quite a bit. We. We go to a cottage, the four of us, and then we take acid, LSD, which is just nuts, right? We end up in the woods in our underwear. And anyway, this season has like, it's kind of in that vein and then some. <laughs> it's just nuts. I love it. I went, I went, does the next season uh, start airing? It has started airing and it's airing on. Oh, actually. If people want to watch live, I do. I watch on Tuesday nights at nine o'clock on CBC, but you can stream it. And here's something I want people to know, because I feel like not enough Canadians know CBC does have a streaming service that's free. So like their own version of Netflix, it's not Netflix, but it has quite a bit of content. And so you can get the newest season on that platform, CBC Gem, for free anytime. And they release them the same night they release them on TV. Yeah, so we're this
0: free is good for us right now. Yeah, We're
1: we're all feeling
0: that punch, uh, uh, that that punch at the streaming surface, upping their their costs. I know. Uh, Yeah, this is good. Yes. All right, let's let's shift. Let's shift a little bit because you uh, obviously you're on a show about moms uh, and and you're not a mom. And so you've had a journey with this uh, in your own life. And so. You also suffer from endometriosis, something that you're hoping to to bring more awareness to. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, when did you when did you find out that you had endo- endometriosis?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Because I found out I had endometriosis when I was 22, because we did a laparoscopy. Uh, laparoscopy, so they went internal, and that's the only way they can, at this time, assess and determine and give a confirmed diagnosis of endometriosis. That said, I had been in pain with my menstruation since the day it started. So when I was 11, I remember missing grade five, right? Missing school and staying home. And I remember because I was in so much pain. I thought this can't be. I was so excited. I was one of those girls that was like, I can't wait to get my period. I can't wait to be a woman. And then it hit me like a Mack truck, you know, this thing called a period. And so it's been a a struggle. And then the diagnosis finally, that was somewhat reassuring, okay, I know what it is, but the treatment options are very poor. Um, I did have the laparoscopy where they surgically try to cauterize the little sections of endometriosis, but uh, it grows back. And so I've had that surgery twice in the last 20 years and it, uh, it it made some difference for a little while and then it just would go back and then get worse. And anyway, I, I want to bring it up because it, it probably has impacted my ability to become pregnant. You know, and so I've come to the end of my fertility journey. And that's a tough one because I really and the irony of being on this comedy for moms is just (laughs) you got to laugh. Like I really. Oh, but that said, um, being on the show brings me closer to parents and kids and makes me feel like a part of that community, even though I don't necessarily have my own. And I've got my fur babies and I have my beautiful nieces who often will mistakenly call me mama. I don't know if they're doing that for me or what, but I really like it. <laughs> so it's not its not a sad story. It's just I'm frustrated that there hasn't been a lot of awareness around it. And so it has felt so lonely and, and the struggle has felt so so painful and so lonely. You know, I don't think it has to be like that.
0: I like that you, you bring that up, that it's been a lonely journey. Um, and is that because there is so little known about endometriosis in 2022.
1: There is still so little known, and I think there's also a perception f- f- with women and men, with everyone, that oh, you've got cramps, do you? And that they're somehow minimized, like you should be able to grin and bear it. And I think normal muscle cramping um, in the uterus, there, there might be a, a there for sure is a lighter version of cramping. But endometriosis is a whole other level. So unless you've experienced it, the, the, the sharpness of the pain, the, um, you know, the length of time that you're in that kind of level of pain, it's, it's unlike anything that can really be understood because it hasn't been studied. You know, it just needs more attention, more research. Uh, And yeah, people talking about it.
0: And have you been able to find any um, support resources for uh, women who suffer with endometriosis? Or have you largely sort of just been feeling your way through this?
1: There are some online and um, I have my eye on like the Endometriosis Network of Canada. I I have been sort of mostly um, working working it out on my own with different medical practitioners who often are in the dark themselves. They don't really have much to offer you know, beyond surgery, or there are certain drugs you can take, which I've tried and it didn't work for me. Um, yeah, there's one thing that has been a blessing is that I have a dear friend. She lives in a different city, but we're in similar boats, you know, she has the same amount of pain or it seems like it's a very similar experience of it, of the disease. So, um, I often meant to join like a support group. I thought that would be a really great thing to do. But the nature of my work has meant that I'm gigging all the time. Like the last 20 years have just been hustle as an actor. You know, so it, it's hard to commit to like, oh, there's a weekly thing and I'm going to do it there. Um, but I think that might probably be a good idea.
0: And have you have you started talking about your journey with endometriosis then um, on your social channels and, and to other women?
1: I have. You know, and I'm, I really want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it today. Because I have a little bit, and you know what I run into, Candice, is that this is years ago, but I remember posting something and a friend or an acquaintance really saying, "Well, it's a bit negative, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit bit of a downer." You know, because I'm known for I like to make people laugh, and I do. I love to make people laugh, but I mean, the reason I like to laugh is because life is hard. You know, and I know that, and I know other people are feeling that, and so I like the levity, the break from that. But the other exists, right? The darkness exists, and so. I'd like to, now that I'm at the end of that, that fertility journey, I do want to be a bit more outspoken about it and um, make people feel seen. Because I know there are women out there, um, you know, um, suffering in silence.
0: And I think unless you have lived with chronic pain of some sort, you, don't, you won't understand um, what, what it's like living with that kind of constant pain so I want people to be able to connect with you uh, and follow along as you start to share your journey with this and get more vocal about it. Um, so where can they connect with you online?
1: Instagram is the the main platform that I use. And I have shared, you know, I've done stories in the past about um, menstrual pain and endometriosis for sure. So my followers, it's so funny to my followers. It's such a weird thing to say. But anyway, the people that are on there that are paying attention to me, who I truly appreciate. Such nice people. I've had nothing but love online. I've been really lucky. Um, they all know that I have this. And yes, that that's the place to follow. I think is I'm not on TikTok. I don't know what to do on TikTok.
0: Oh, I just I just got on there. So don't don't rush over. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm still on the fence. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, but uh, okay. Let- so sorry. One more time. Then, what is your Instagram handle? If you could let everybody know.
1: Sarah McVee. So Sarah's got an H. M-C-V-I-E. Sarah McVie uh, at. All right. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much
0: for joining me. And I know I'm going to have you back on the show again. Uh, people love working
1: moms. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Candace. I
6: was born strong. I was made for this. See, I met so many hard times when I
7: thought I could make it
0: See? The New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, which is a registered nonprofit organization that is focused on building and connecting communities, supporting and strengthening Black families and businesses and empowering Black youth is joining me today. Jerisha Grant-Hall is an innovative and strategic thinker who is committed to moving her community forward through collaboration and conversation. Founder and chair of NACA, Jerisha joins me now to share what prompted her to start this organization and how it's making a difference. Welcome to the show, Jerisha. Thank you so much for
6: having me, Candice. What prompted you to start Uh, Nyaka? That's a a great question. And um, I like to say that there are uh, multiple reasons. Uh, One of them being uh, just having seen the the community being not as inclusive as it should in terms of everything from programming to just when you go out to events and not seeing diversity, if you will. Not too fond of the word diversity because it means different things to different people. But the idea behind NACA was um, sparked, I would say, from that, from not seeing that inclusivity in the community. And that's what sparked the idea.
0: And what year did you start this? 2018. Okay, so this was, was this, pro- I'm trying to think of when all the upheaval in the world started. It's been so confusing with the pandemic. And uh, so was there any prompting from from Black Lives
6: Matter that, that pushed you to start this as well? Absolutely not. Um, there was no prompting from Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Mattered before George Floyd died. Um, also... Uh, systemic racism existed before George Floyd died. Uh, so, as I had indicated, the the, the lack of in, inclusion and belonging in the community sparked it. Sparked this idea, and the the and just understanding the inequities that are structural in our community, in our society, in our school system, um, in our police system, in our education, like in all systems, right. Uh, and so being uh, a person of african descent with lived experiences of systemic racism and exclusion uh that was something that i had faced myself uh throughout my time and so the lived experiences were already there before the pandemic before george floyd died and the before the global upheaval i would say
0: and now that you're you've been doing this for i guess 4 years almost um how are you measuring if you move the needle in your community? You have, what successes have you seen? That's a great question,
6: Candice. I've seen so many uh, successes uh, since we've started. Um, we, we have recently opened uh, a black, our first Black-led center in the Arc region. This was Our open house was December 12th. And for us, that was kind of a... Not just a milestone in our journey, but also a, a a big achievement for for the region. This, like I said, it's the first first ever uh, black lit community space. So, what that space represents for the community is the idea that we don't have to sit and wait for for things to change. We we can actually change them, and so this will become a hub. Where uh, not just the black community but all of our community can connect and and uh, and learn there there's there's an opportunity there for intercultural understanding. It's a place that's going to serve as uh, a place where black youth can can have a safe space uh, to build on their identity, to affirm their identities, and uh, for us to connect for us to share our vision, support each other. And I think that's decolonizing. So what's next for NACA? We're in the process of uh, just building on our existing programs. I know that we're in, we've been in a lockdown for some time now, but during that time, we're still working behind the scenes, getting ourselves organized. Uh, Right now we're looking to build our capacity because we're expanding and we're growing. And so our next move is to build a strategic um, plan for the organization that will lead us into the next five years beyond.
0: You are an inspiration uh, to anybody listening. Um, My show airs out west and a couple of markets in Ontario. So any woman listening to you, uh, do you have any advice for them if they are looking to, you know, uh,
6: start a movement or start an organization similar to yours? Just do it. We're all leaders. We all have it inside of us, and for any woman out there that feel like they uh, want to change something, that there's something that they're passionate about, just go after it. Everything will fall into place. Uh, I, I just, I, I will, I always say, sometimes fear is what holds us back, uh, but I think being brave is doesn't mean that there's an absence of fear you will you will always have that sense of uh you know is is am i doing the right thing is it but you are just do it
0: all right thank you so much for joining me today if people want to connect with you or volunteer with your organization where can they find out more
6: uh yes so we our website is uh, N-A-C-C-A, uh dot community. at uh, did I say that right? NakaCommunity.ca. So no dot. <laughs> so N-A-C-A community.ca. Uh, That's our website, and we, you can also find us uh, on Instagram, uh, and uh, of course Twitter and and Facebook as well. Naka Community.
0: All right, we're gonna have all of those in the liner notes when we put the show up on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jerusha. Thank you for having me. Sky.
3: stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: Despite using only Canadian ingredients, my next guest is experiencing firsthand the impact of supply chain disruptions on her business. Sheena Russell is the founder and CEO of Made with Local, a Halifax-based company with a mission to inspire mindfulness and conscious consumption through community connection, storytelling, and food. Sheena joins me now to discuss how she's navigating the frustrating reality of supply chain disruption. Welcome to the show, Sheena. Thanks, Candice. Thanks for having me. I imagine as somebody who went out of their way to create a company sourcing only things within Canada, it must be especially frustrating to be experiencing supply chain disruption. What are some of the hurdles you're facing right now?
7: Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've we've built the business to be, uh, you know, insured, I think, against some of the things we're seeing out in the world, but there's still those little troubles trickling in like, Um, For example, some of our suppliers are having trouble procuring their own packaging. Our peanut butter supplier, for example, could not get their hands on 10 kg buckets. And if you don't have buckets to put your peanut butter in, you can't ship it. So things like that, that sound kind of silly, but have actually caused a significant amount of stress in our business. Um, Freight has also been challenging. The freight timelines, freight costs. Uh, We are based here in Nova Scotia and we ship our products coast to coast to coast uh, all across the country. And uh, it's been it's been really challenging on the freight side, too. So those are just a couple of pain points uh, we've had in the last few months.
0: A lot of people, uh, you know, on social media and, you know, in 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 the media in general are talking about the importance of supporting local. Are you receiving that kind of support uh, from your community and from customers?
7: Absolutely. Yeah, we feel it from our customers. We also feel it from our like the buyers at the big grocery stores and the health food stores uh, across the country who are hearing it from their customers that local matters. And it's something that, you know, we've doubled down on over the course of us being 10 years in business, way back from when we started at the farmer's market here in Halifax. Uh, we've grown a lot since then, but have never wavered from our values to continue to support local farmers and food producers, bake all of our bars at social enterprise bakeries. These are things that, uh, you know, have made it tricky at times to grow a company like ours, but have taken us to this place now where consumers more than ever are looking for companies that really align with these personal values they have.
0: So made with local is uh, what is called B Corp certified. And this is something that I am hearing a lot of um, from other businesses across the country. Uh,
7: what does it mean to have
0: that certification?
7: B Corp certification is one that has been done by only a few thousand companies in the whole world. And it is a extremely rigorous uh Process by which companies become are able to prove uh, that they're hitting sustainability and ethics targets uh, to the gold standard, really. So it's something where we see, you know, some of the most sustainable sustainability minded companies in the world, like the Patagonias, like the Ben and Jerry's. Um, they've really paved the way for B Corps, I think, and it's something for us here at Made with Local that of all the different you know certifications any company can get, especially in the food st- space, B Corp was holds the most weight for us. Um, I like to joke and say, you know, no entrepreneur or no company in their right mind would do. B Corp certification just for fun, you know. It's it's a painful process, uh, but you can when you see that B Corp logo on any product or service, trust that the company. Uh, is doing is doing what they say they're doing. They're walking their walk and they're talking the talk. So, in light of the supply
0: chain disruptions and the rigorous testing you're voluntarily submitting yourself to, what's next for Made with Local?
7: Well, we haven't slowed down at all, really. Thankfully, you know people are still snacking, uh, pandemic be damned. So we've been really busy uh, despite it all the last couple of years. Uh, next up for us, you know, we're always launching new flavors of our real food bars, which is really fun. Working with new farmers and food producers, playing with new flavors. And we've got some really fun product innovation coming down the pipeline uh, in 2022 and beyond. So we're busy as ever, uh, despite these lumps and bumps. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. If people want to
0: find Made with Local Products products, where can they find you?
7: Yeah, we're available at most major grocery stores all across the country, actually. So um, all east to west, we're in Loblaws, Sobeys, Safeway, Save on Foods, Metro, you name it. So uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere. And also, of course, online. It's a digital age and we do ship our products uh, via e-commerce. Uh, You can find us at madewithlocal.ca and our social channels at Made With Local. Amazing. And I'm just out of curiosity, what's your bestseller? So we launched a holiday flavor in the fall of 2021 called Chocolate Mint Chip. It's a real food bar that's made with uh, organic gluten-free oats and fair trade cashew butter, fair trade uh, cocoa and pure peppermint oil. It is absolutely wildly delicious. And we had so much uproar when we tried to wind it down as a holiday flavor that we've decided to keep it on uh, as a mainline flavor going forward. So that I would say is taking the cake as our new best-selling real food bar.
0: Hopefully we'll all find that when we go to the stores and we won't cause more supply chain disruption for you. Uh, Sheena, thanks so much for joining me. It was a pleasure having you. I wish you every success uh, as you move forward with your business. Thanks, Candace. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
3: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059Theregion.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko.
0: And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback.
2: We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and
1: Google Podcasts. And at Let's Take This Outside, .ca Another Sound Off Media Company Podcast